Greetings, Fortnite gamers, and welcome to Jump Cuts, a podcast about movies. My name is Charlie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Will. Hello. Part cannot be with us this week because this is a Fortnite-friendly, no-boomers-allowed episode, as this week we watched the Fortnite live-action adaptation, Battle Royale, and I will stop making Fortnite jokes now, I promise. So, uh, Will, do you want to give us our quick little synopsis of this movie? I'd love to. With the unemployment rate climbing and public morals on the decline, the Japanese government has passed a law that sets out to make an example of immoral children. Once a year, a class of students is randomly selected to fight to the death on a deserted island. Only the last one standing can go free. This event is known as Battle Royale. So Great me, premise. <laughs> yeah. Let me let me just get this out of the way. This movie rules. It's yeah, awesome. It's, it's a good time. <laughs> Uh, so if even if you haven't seen battle royale weirdly you've probably heard of it it has strangely a large amount of cultural significance for a japanese film from 2001 that i mean i don't think was ever formally released in the u.s right there is an english subtitle and there's also a really uh not well done dub i think we both watched the subtitle not to be like a you know sub superior only watch my anime in the original language read guy, well, like, but like it the, the dub did not sound good yeah plus i feel like dubs are like easier to watch if it is animated just about then yeah like live action dubbed over is kind of weirdly weird and uncanny to me mm-hmm. so like if i can avoid it i do yeah uh, like there there's no way to make the lip syncing seem remotely correct like you kind of can with animation mm-hmm. and plus it just i don't know it sounded to me like the Dub, it, it the audio mixing wasn't really good on it if that makes sense it sounded you it just sounded like the lines were being read in a studio and not like in a classroom uh which is where i stopped watching the dub and went and found the sub but yeah uh but as i was saying strangely culturally relevant film because the uh the hunger games series obviously most people are familiar with that and the uh the books which were very good and the movies which were okay that came out of that uh although apparently Author Suzanne Collins claimed she had not heard of or seen Battle Royale at the time she wrote those books, which I'm inclined to believe her on, even though they are pretty similar. But there's also now this entire subgenre of video games named after this movie. It's had a weirdly large cultural impact. So, like I said, if you haven't seen it, you've probably still heard of it. Yeah, like even Player Unknown's Battlegrounds or PUBG, that's probably like the one that. Uh, like you and I are most familiar with definitely is full of battle royale references right like they Mm -hmm. have a ton of like cosmetics in the game that are like directly lifted from characters like in in this movie Uh, and you wouldn't really know it just like looking at them because they kind of like fit in with the whole style of like the game too you know Mm -hmm. Uh, Fortnite is like pretty different looking like altogether (laughs) you know yeah, Fortnite definitely but, pulls a very different aesthetic, but I mean, for as much as PUBG kind of laid the groundwork for the genre, Fortnite is what blew it up, right? That's what most people are going to be casually familiar with. Yeah, that's the game that's like setting the standard for like every new game has to have a like last person standing battle royale mode. You know, it's like the. Mm-hmm. It's literally like the new Call of Duty or Halo, like. It's like the new format for shooters. It's so weird. Yeah, like um, when we were in middle school, high school, and Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 2, we're like setting this new standard of every shooter has this kind of class-based customization structure now that even Halo went on to adopt, right, with Reach and Halo 4. And now Battle Royales have become that, right? Like there's a whole generation mm-hmm. of kids that are growing up like we did with your Call of Duty class shooters with Battle Royales. That's just, that's the games they play. Uh, and it's, I mean, man, it's a, it's a weirdly large cultural phenomenon. And I don't know why I keep saying weirdly because it's, I, it's not weird that this movie has a lot of impact because again, it's awesome. (laughs) It's awesome. And like, it does, it feels a bit like, like, it's not that surprising that it got turned into like video games because it feels a little bit like one, even watching it, Mm -hmm. you know? So, I mean, it is, the whole thing is set up like a, like a game, right? Exactly. Like a really evil game, so. 
Yeah, I think the whole the concept and the aesthetic translate very well. So I guess we can get into the main characters of this movie, right? Yes. Um, so we have uh, sort of like our main villain or like bad guy is uh, Kitano or the uh, teacher of these kids or he mm-hmm. like their former teacher more specifically. Um, after we have like an intro in the movie describing uh, like the political and economic situation of Japan that like talks about the increased um, like unemployment rate and like there's just like issues and, and it's sort of like a uh, it's not like apocalyptic but it's like pre-apocalyptic you know mm-hmm. it's like Mad Max 1 where it's like the world is just sort of slowly falling apart as opposed to like you know like a bomb has gone off and killed everyone yeah, um, I like how the thing they list here, too, is, like, one of the justifications for this is that the unemployment rate has skyrocketed to 15%. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> recording this in oh 20... They, um, so, back in... I looked this up. Back in April, uh, I think the highest it got in the U.S. was uh, 14% unemployment. <laughs> Ooh, okay, good. We stay uh, it under the Battle Royale threshold. Right? <laughs> we were 1% away from having Battle Royale happening, Um but they uh it's gone down since then so maybe we're in the clear uh but the yeah so like that's the sort of like situation we're in and and like uh there's also like a like the public morals crisis that has directly impacted uh the teacher kitano right like kids aren't behaving in class which like kind of makes sense because like they have clearly no prospects in the future right Mm mm-hmm um and like no one's even showing up to school anymore um and kitano gets stabbed by (laughs) one of his students like randomly uh and he quits like soon after that right and the class doesn't Mm -hmm. see him again for like a year uh until uh they get put into the battle royale when like kitano is like organizing it like he's leading it right yes so, like, clearly this has had <laughs> the stabbing and, like, his time as a teacher had a, like, serious, like, impact on him. Although he does have a lot of affection for one of our main characters, uh, Noriko, our, uh, like, the, I guess, like, closest thing to, like, a heroine of the story, I guess. Um, and, like, the sort of romantic interest of... Uh, our other main character Shuya they kind of keep it like she's into him and he's like kind of conflicted about it but uh, they're like our main two kids that we're following Mm -hmm. and uh, the teacher is has a lot of we later find out very unsettling affection for Noriko because she yes. was like the only teacher. I mean, she was the only student who was like kind to him, right? She was mm-hmm. a good girl. She didn't like, she wasn't going around stabbing people. She like actually showed up to class and uh, he gets a little too attached to her. A <laughs> little bit. There's yeah. also some kind of internal conflict here with Shuya in the the romantic aspect of this because Mm. uh and correct me if i'm wrong here but what it seemed to imply was that his best friend nobu had some affection for noriko but Mm. then nobu of course is throwing knives between the eyes at the start of the movie uh by (laughs) kitano so so nobu is the guy who stabbed kitano right Mm -hmm. and then uh when all of our kids are uh, like they've been like gassed on a field trip to like get and, like knock them out and they wake up in their uh, this like old like rundown classroom and their old teacher shows up with the army, you know, and is like telling like, hey, welcome to Battle Royale. You're all going to die. Uh, <laughs> there's like explosive collars around your necks, um, which uh, I don't know if this is the first time we've seen explosive collars. Is that like did that inspire the stuff in like. Uh, like the slave collars in Fallout New Vegas. I don't know. Uh, although I think Fallout had slave collars in like Fallout 1 and 2. And I don't know when those came out. But I think those um, were the 90s. I feel like the concept has been around in sci-fi for 
a long a time lot ago. longer than this, but I couldn't specifically point you to like the first example. Yeah, it's another thing that it's like it feels very blended with like video game stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, the kids slowly start like freaking out when they realize like the gravity of the situation they're in, and uh, Nobu, the uh, the kid who is you know once again Shuya's friend, stabbed the teacher earlier. Uh, starts like mouthing off at him, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, Kitano throws a uh, a knife at his head, killing him instantly. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> it is, yeah, and it's like really shocking too. And like they, I love the the, the whole scene that they have when they're like introducing the concept of battle royale to the to the kids. And, like, they have, like, this, like, corny, like, tr- like training video for them to explain it with, like, uh, like, there's a lot of, like, like it's, like, jet black humor going on oh, in yeah. this, right? The training video, too, reminds me a lot of the, like, duck and cover type videos that they would play mm-hmm. in American and I'm maybe possibly Japanese schools, too, in, like, the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Because we were just mm-hmm. anticipating a nuclear war. I feel like it was supposed to be a play on that, but now it's like, oh, we have moved past imminent nuclear war and on to we are imminently making you fight each other to the death. <laughs> yeah, and, like, when they're doing, like, a little, like, Dora the Explorer, like, call and response thing, and, like, the teacher who has, like, just, like, who, like, is about to throwing knife a guy is like responding you know like the lady in the video is like hello everyone and he's like hello (laughs) like it's very he's very like cheery and like kind of like mocking i don't know it was like handled really well Mm -hmm. and then when things start to spiral out of control like he kills a kid with a throwing knife and they uh, he demonstrates the like explosive collar too Mm-hmm. Uh, they, the kids start like freaking out, and like the whole crowd is running around, and like the uh, soldiers are shooting at the ground and the ceiling to like round everyone up, and like they did a there's a lot of like really good like physical acting from like our main characters and the extras, like it really mm-hmm. feels like chaotic the whole scene. It's a really and, good like, scene, like and the, it, I, I think it very effectively sets up to. The, uh, the movie's relationship with violence and also one of its kind of larger overarching themes, right? Which ties into its relationship with violence, right? Because we're talking about, we just talked about a kid getting throwing knife in the face as being, like, fucking awesome. Uh, yeah. And it's because, <laughs> like, I, so, two weeks ago, right, when we watched There Will Be Blood, and we were talking about, like, the deeply unsettling but relatively bloodless and not very graphic scene in which uh, Daniel Plainview murders his fake brother, right? Mm. And then we transition to this movie where it's something much more graphically violent happens, but it's like, uh, it's it's so interesting how they do this because with what you're talking about, the, with the way that Kitano is reacting to the film and the way that he's just committing murders, it, I think, speaks to one of the things the movie is trying to say about how the, uh, you know, the corruption of the youth that you hear older generations harp on sometimes, right, is really something that those older generations have done to them. And Kitano is just, like, totally desensitized to all of this violence around him, which, I mean, mm-hmm. does seem like a rapid transition from him getting stabbed and being pretty upset about it a couple weeks ago. But, like, he's desensitized to being the one doing the violence for sure yeah it seems like he's this isn't his first time doing the battle royale thing yeah right like he's definitely killed a couple kids yeah like it's almost i'm pretty sure that what they're trying to do with him is like after he quit being a teacher he moved on to this Mm -hmm. like he seems like he volunteered for it or something Um, yeah and like the the way the movie plays up these hyper violent murders is like cool action scenes i think it plays into that very well, right? With like the way that, you know, we are desensitized to that type of violence and it's this horrible thing happening to these children that's going to either directly kill them or scar them for the rest of their lives, even if they do survive. And we're just sitting here like, that was sick. Yeah, it, 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 it does, it walks the line of like, campy, like fun violence and like, 
genuine kind of horror and awe really well. Mm -hmm. I think it kind of, it does a really good job of like putting you in the sort of like hyper real world that they're like depicting, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that like, especially watching this now, because the first time I watched, this is my second time watching Battle Royale, right? And I kind of only saw it as like, you know, oh, isn't that crazy? Like, there's no way any government would do something this stupid, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this doesn't make any sense. But now on, on my second viewing, I'm like, I mean, I still don't think any government would do something like this weird. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like, I don't think anyone's going to be specifically doing a battle royale. But like, looking at like, most of my adult life, the American government has been like, disappearing immigrant children in like detention camps, and we don't know where a lot of them are. And like, there's a lot of like, sexual assaults happening there. Like, violence to this scale has been done by like, all kinds of countries for like, all of history. Like, it's not that far-fetched a lot of this stuff you know yeah it's it's the same level of violence just played up for effect and like the first time i watched it i was like you know like oh of course the like there's no way a populace would be okay with this happening right yeah but it's like no there's like plenty of like like right now as we're recording this president trump has been like publicly saying like we need to stop mail-in voting so we're gonna like, get rid of all the like mailboxes and shit <laughs> right <laughs> literally like for the reason of like we don't want mail-in votes to be like counted and like so it's all like very in the open and like i feel like if you told me like 10 years ago this was happening like oh like aren't people gonna stop him and right now i think people are realizing like who's gonna stop like what can you do <laughs> you know you kind of just have to go along with it, right? Because, like, I can't go save the the Postal Service. <laughs> I'm just a guy. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I this movie, man, like, I, I went into it expecting it to just be this, like, goofy, campy action romp. And you can just see my notes, like, getting more serious as the movie goes. <laughs> and it is a goofy, campy action romp, but it weirdly has some very poignant stuff to say that I think applies very strongly to like our generation right where we're like just like what is happening around us what is, <laughs> why is the world trying to kill itself and also us <laughs> please stop and i feel like now is probably a good time to bring up the like background of the director yes yeah. i think it in i wish i'd known it when i first saw it and i feel like it informs what's happening a lot so uh Kinji uh, Fugasaku uh, is the director. He uh, this was the last movie he ever directed. He actually uh, died in like his seventies, uh, working on the sequel to it, which I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. He led a very interesting life. Um, he was born in uh, nineteen thirty, uh, which meant uh, he was old enough to be uh, drafted to work as a to work uh, making munitions in World War II, right? When he was only 15, he was like the class that he was in. So it was like essentially a class of children were making munitions for the war effort. Uh, they were bombed. And like, so he has personally seen like his classmates die and like they had to like bury their own classmates, right? Jesus. Um, so, like, he has had first-hand experience with, like, horrors to, like, the level of this film, uh, like, in his real life. And it was all government-mandated, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, like, it suddenly, like, the pieces start coming together of, like, this man who has, like, seen, like, the man who's, like, his generation was, like literally like killed and maimed by his elders right and now he's making a movie about a younger generation having the same thing done to them and like the screenplay was actually written by his son for this movie but like i'm assuming they kind of work together on this right i would imagine like, yeah i don't know like it's it's kind of uh I don't know. It's kind of. It's almost kind of sweet that like a father-son team is working on a movie 
like about this topic you know not to just like invent what i think he might have been feeling but you know i'm gonna do it anyways i would imagine this is a cathartic thing to write right like as a writer mm-hmm. myself i thank god have never been through anything remotely like this but writing about you know traumatic or hurtful stuff can be helpful art is a good outlet for that so hopefully this was for him and not just like reliving it meaninglessly but i would imagine that it was pulled from that yeah yeah i i don't i don't like i haven't seen anything where he's like explicitly saying what his goal was with this movie but Mm -hmm. like the message is pretty clear uh like from the movie like it's pretty explicit like we get a lot of shots like right after two students like brutally murder each other we just have shots of like like adult like military age men just like standing around (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know just like waiting for it to be over or like working the computer and sort of like organizing all of it so like he is very squarely placing the blame in this film of like all these deaths on the adults in the situation right Mm -hmm. speaking of which i feel like there's a very nihilistic takeaway you could bring from this movie too that i want to talk about and see what you think about this because i'm not sure that it's what they intended but i could see how somebody could read it this way um because what you said about the the adults just kind of standing around and letting this happen if you look at most of the kids that tried to do something to stop this in particular the ones that came the closest aside from the uh main trio of protagonists that escaped but there's the group of three boys where one of them figures out a way to hack the computers right Mm -hmm. uh and so he manages to take the computer system offline so they can't be tracked and now they have this car full of explosives that they're going to go drive into the base blow it up and escape the island right yeah this is this is by far the best plan anybody comes up with to end this thing and they just get stopped by one of the two like ringer kids the uh let me i what was his name uh kiriyama kiriyama yeah kiriyama who's like the kind of the the villain of the two ringer exchange students just happens to show up at that moment and murder them all yeah and it's it's... just like (laughs) there's a very like dark takeaway here right if like if you rebel against this system that is just like abandon you to die you're still gonna just randomly die so it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah it is kind of and I guess I think we maybe we didn't bring up like the ringers uh, to anyone who hasn't seen the movie, but like the there's two uh, quote unquote exchange students that have showed up uh, to this class uh, who have both like clearly been in uh, battle royale before. Uh, mm-hmm. and we have Kiriyama, who's like the crazy one, and we have Kawada, who is uh, like. He's serious, but he ends up being nice and, like, helping Shuya and Noriko. So, uh, for whatever reason, they're both... uh, I think it's, like, Kawada was forced back into it. And then Kiriyama, like, volunteered, right? Yeah. Um, And, yeah, his character... Did you like Kiriyama as a character? I liked him as an agent of chaos... Mm-hmm. I feel like as an actual character, there wasn't a lot to him. He's not very developed. He didn't really seem to have a lot of like personality to him. But if you look at him not as a personality, and again, it's just like kind of a nihilistic agent of chaos who enacts random death and violence upon everybody else, I think he's interesting in that regard. But there's probably a way he could have been more of an actual character. Yeah, I, see, I wasn't... I think he's, like, the weakest part of the movie, probably. Yeah. Uh, just because, like... Uh, the, the movie actually does a really good job of, like, setting up all of our characters. Even, uh, like, it, it happens a lot in this because you're dealing with, like, 40-some kids all fighting. Mm-hmm. That they kind of have little, like, vignettes, right? Of... Uh, and like, I actually think this would work really well as like like a series. Like, if you had a little like episode like vignette about like two characters, and then kind of like move to the next group, you know. Mm-hmm. 
because uh, we have like uh, a little story about uh, like this couple that like never really like professed their love to each other and like the uh, the girl is like a runner you know and we get like a scene with her like running into some other guy and then they he ends up like killing him and there's like a fight goes down right uh, and she's mm-hmm. wearing the what becomes the like kill bill <laughs> outfit we're pretty sure uh-huh. right um quentin tarantino really likes this movie uh fun yes. fact um and like i thought it was like a really effective little uh like story right i think her name is uh chigusa yeah there's a lot of good little character vignettes like that and a lot of them kind of come down to these dying professions of love right there's a lot of that maybe too much of that yeah i do think though it's like a good juxtaposition to the the nihilism of the random death and like kiriyama as the force of nature that's just killing everybody there's also like these moments of humanity and you know realizing in your dying moment what was worth living for right yeah and in that way that's where i think i i don't think the nihilism is the point I think it's just a component of like, this is a thing that you have to deal with in trying to survive this messed up world, but you know, you deal with it. Yeah. And they cover a pretty wide range of reactions to the situation. Like you have our main characters who are like doing their best to be nonviolent, but do really want to survive. And if anyone comes at them, they're going to fight back. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have like, uh, there's like two girls who <laughs> their their weapon. By the way, everyone is given like a random weapon when they leave, and it can range between like Shuya, our main character, gets a pot lid, and like some other character gets an Uzi, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, like the and like one guy gets like a little tracker that like tells him where everyone is. So there's a pretty wide range of stuff you can get. Um, these clearly a group of girls get a uh, one of them gets a megaphone. <laughs> which is so they're trying to like organize they're like oh if we all work together like we like we can get out of this right like we don't have to kill each other we all work together uh and then of course uh kiriyama finds them because they're yelling on the megaphone and kills them immediately right Mm -hmm. uh and then there's like two characters that uh, like commit suicide because they'd rather die than like kill anyone else or be killed by anyone else, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of different, you know, some groups band together. Uh, some people like want to go it alone. It, it, they cover like kind of the full range of like different reactions to this. <laughs> yeah, it does a really good job because it is kind of like a it's like a mini apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. Like you were saying, and it's just you know these are these are the ways that people could deal with the situation that they've been thrown into here they do a good job of covering that in kind of a short time span yeah and uh kiriyama is really the only one who we don't get any backstory on mm-hmm. i feel like like you can make him this like crazy murderer but like i don't know give us a little bit of like was he always like that did he turn into that you know like, yeah, I think how the, become this? the the whole like force of nature concept kind of goes against the humanizing aspects of the rest of the movie. And mm-hmm. I wish they would have humanized him a little more. Yeah. Because even uh, Kitano, like the, the teacher, is uh, he's a very like human character. You know, he does monstrous things, but they have mm-hmm. him. I, I think one of the uh, one of the smarter decisions in the movie was uh having him get like the cookies that noriko made oh yeah uh so like on the on the bus when they think they're all going on a field trip uh noriko gives shuya uh some cookies right because she likes him Mm -hmm. and uh he doesn't end up getting to like eat them and when they get all knocked out uh we find out that kitano has them right and like it gives the movie a way to give you a little peek into like what he's thinking about because throughout the film he makes little decisions or like uh like 
little decisions to keep Noriko alive or like he's doing whatever he can to sort of help her out, right? Mm -hmm. Like she's clearly his favorite. And whenever he's thinking of her, he eats one of the cookies. Uh, Like it's a really good little like visual device where like you you get what's happening, right? Yeah. Um, And I thought that was a smart way of doing it. Um, Because like he shows up later and like scares away someone who's like, gonna kill her and gives her an umbrella (laughs) yeah that was a very strange scene Mm -hmm. but in retrospect it makes sense yeah uh at the time i was like what the what is happening right now (laughs) it's just got really weird but as it goes on and gets more into kitano's character and his kind of weird obsession that he's developed with noriko it, it makes more sense mm. and really i don't know it probably should have made sense at the time maybe i just wasn't picking up enough on the the hints that they left there i think um you might like on on like a rewatch pick up more of what's mm-hmm. going on because i think yeah the first time i watched it you may be not like looking for it but like on on like a second viewing, like you kind of know, like you already know he's into her. Yeah. So you can kind of like, you know, kind of have an eye open for that. Oh, we should talk about uh, Mitsuko because she's like oh, the yeah. one of the more interesting characters, I think. Yeah, Mitsuko is a really good character. Yeah. Um. So she's like the uh, most murderous girl in the story i guess right and like there's a little bit of like black widow like temptress murderer girl that's like kind of not cool going on with her right yeah there's a little bit of that but um it, it isn't like they aren't totally trying to like condemn her at the very least right like they mm-hmm. at least give you some background and a reason as to why she is the way she is she's a sympathetic character for sure Despite the fact that she has probably like the second highest body count in the movie, right? Yeah, um, I think like I do think she would have won if the exchange students weren't there. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> she's ruthless. Like she kills so many people, and like she does it like I don't know. Like she has a very like complete sort of character, right? Like the the first time she kills someone, she like starts off being like very nice to her and ask like oh what weapon did you get you know like we gotta like stick together right and mm-hmm. then once she confirms that like her weapon is worse she like chases after her and like kills her with the scythe that she's been given right yeah that was uh, oh man the uh i i have a lot more respect for the sickle melee weapon in PUBG now after seeing that <laughs> yeah right and then uh the next day uh, we see her like washing her hair and doing her makeup, <laughs> which is <Yeah>. amazing. <laughs> like after she just like murdered someone, like it's day two of battle royale, and she's like, "Well, I gotta look good," <laughs> like, you know. But like, if her whole strategy is to like kind of like talk people into like a false sense of security, it makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, for like most of the movie, we just see her doing like these monstrous things. Right. And then partway through, we get her background of uh, having like an incredibly abusive like childhood. Yes. It's uh, the scene we see is her like narrowly escaping being sexually assaulted as a child um, via killing someone. (laughs) Yeah. Her mom basically tries to sell her out to this guy for booze money uh and then she ends up pushing the guy down the stairs and he breaks his neck yeah and like that uh, it's pretty clearly i think implying like that this isn't like the first time it's happened or like something Mm -hmm. things but like it's a formative moment in her life right definitely um and you can just sort of extrapolate from that that like and she even like i think says it like her whole like thought process going into the battle royale was like i'm not like losing anymore in life right like Mm -hmm. i've like my life has been shitty enough i know what it takes to survive it's going to be me like you know i don't owe these people anything and like she is still like 
a monster in the movie, right? But you can, mm-hmm. I don't know, she's characterized so much better than Kiriyama, in my opinion. Definitely, yeah. Like, you uh, understand how she got into this position. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, like, that's where the movie toes that line of, like, campy action violence and effective, upsetting, disturbing violence so well. Again, because, you know, like that that scene of her pushing the guy down the stairs, it's super upsetting. Not that she pushed the guy down the stairs, but like that, you know, the whole sexual the whole situation thing is thing yeah. is, yeah, it's, oh, it's really disturbing. And you're, ugh, you're like cheering for her for killing this dude, right? Like that, ugh, mm-hmm. that, and the, the situation these kids are in, right? It's like, it, it is very literally kill or be killed. And on some level, she was in that position, right? It wasn't kill or be killed, but it was like, you know, kill this guy as your defense. That's how you, on some level, saying save your own life, right? She's about to be assaulted. So she's been in this situation before, and it's, it, can you can you really root against her for trying to survive, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's trying to, the movie's trying to ask you this question of, like, I, mm-hmm. what, are you going to root? that all of these kids die because one of them's got to survive. Right. And they're going to have to kill the other kids if they're going to do it. Even Shuya who does survive, he killed several people. Did he hold on? Yeah. He, uh, so he gets in the struggle with the guy that attacks him with the ax and they're like rolling down the hill and he ends up like slamming the ax into the dude's head and killing him. Yeah. They kind of, they kind of leave it like vague as to who swung the ax, I guess. Yeah. It's supposed to be a little like accidental, but, I mean, he also, you know, he fires shots at Kiriyama during that fight. It That's kind of his moment into, mm-hmm. like, the, okay, I have to, like, fight back in self-defense, yeah. even if I'm yeah. not going to actively he, hunt people, right? Yeah, he always, yeah, he, he always acts in self-defense until the very end when he acts to defend Noriko. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can talk about, like, the very ending, right, of uh, mm-hmm. where, uh, so... Kawada, like the nice exchange student, Ashuya and Noriko have managed to uh, trick Kitano into believing that like just Kawada has like won and has killed Noriko and Shuya. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but eventually they all like end up in the school together and Kitano is threatening Noriko uh, with like a pistol and uh, that's like the first time that Shuya kills someone that isn't like at least directly threatening like him, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like to save Noriko, so, uh, like anyone would have done what he did, right? Yeah, this is also after Kitano like unveils the weird crayon drawing of all of the decapitated children with Noriko like glowing in the middle, right? <laughs> There's a very sinister undertone here. Yeah, that like I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how much I like that because like it kind of makes Kitano to seem like a just just a crazy person you know like yeah that's fair i this this whole sequence starting from here into the very end is very like strange to me so i feel like we're, we're gonna have to go through this a lot but like so okay that happens and it's a just a weird like psychopath moment because up until this, like you said, he's been I it's kind of this like borderline character of like he very clearly has some kind of unhealthy feeling towards this girl, and it's not directly implied that like anything actually inappropriate has happened, but I would say his feelings seem inappropriate. His feelings are very yeah, are, yeah. I think are very inappropriate. And we've gotten the the flashback to show that like she's kind of the only person in his life that's been nice to him right mm-hmm. because like his wife and his son hate him for some reason i don't know probably because he's a weirdo yeah his family hates him probably because he keeps murdering children <laughs> yeah that would uh that would do it but clearly he has taken you know taken this too far mm-hmm. but that moment i don't know it's like this almost like a cartoonish level of like maniacal nonsense and then he has a water gun can you do you why did he have a water gun? Is there an explanation for that? So I figure this, because in the scene where he's threatening Noriko and pointing a gun at her, the gun he's pointing is like a water gun. It's fake, right? Yes. Which is, I think, to like establish a little heavy handedly that like he just wants to die 
like he's trying to commit suicide here. Um, cause okay. like, he, like he never wanted to kill Noriko in the first place. Uh, so he's like, okay, the, the Shuya will have to kill me if I'm threatening her. Uh huh. You know? So, cause then after he gets shot, he like takes forever to die and like <laughs> his like family calls and he picks up the phone and like yells at him some more and like throws the phone down and then pulls out a real gun and like shoots the phone yeah so like it pretty clearly establishes like at this point kitano like could have killed all three of them but he's like choosing not to right like he's kind of given up he's done okay yeah that was so as this scene was happening i was like did this movie like suddenly shirk all of the seriousness and just become ridiculous for a second or am i like missing what the message is here so i guess i was kind of missing the whole like he's just trying to suicide via shuya thing yeah suicide by shuya (laughs) a rather goofy way to do that with a freaking water gun yeah but like i the i think the painting thing bothers me the most because it's like i feel like his character is so much more interesting it's much more interesting if you have a character doing all these terrible things and he has like all of his faculties with him right like he's totally aware of what he's doing and he believes in it and like he sees this like monstrous project that he's a part of as a if not seeing it as like a social good he's like doing it to absolve himself of something right like there's something mm-hmm. there as opposed to just like he's been driven crazy which i don't think is exactly what they were implying but it pushes it a little too far for me it does feel like a little bit of a cop-out but so okay from this scene they escape the island kawada who's been injured bleeds out Kawada's a great character by the way we didn't talk about him too too much but i i liked the running joke with him where every time he had these survival skills that the uh that shuya and noriko were kind of surprised by he would say like my dad was a doctor or my dad was a fisherman right and i think the implication here was supposed to be that like his father was useless and didn't actually teach him anything if he was even around mm-hmm. and he's developed all these skills on his own right uh, <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> also another thing that the dark knight ripped off the whole my father was a drinker you know like, oh my <laughs> that God, the joker dude. does christopher the, nolan is a hack honestly. we are four episodes in and we found like two or three examples of christopher nolan being a hack just saying or eventually we're gonna do a christopher nolan movie and i'll get to really express how disappointing <laughs> i think he is <laughs> <laughs> that's gonna be interesting because i generally like most of his movies but yeah i some some stuff is like eh, he's not good at ending things anyways <laughs> Speaking of ending things, the ending of this movie, Shuya and Noriko escape. They're clearly going to be like on the run. Noriko has the knife that Nobu used to stab Kitano, uh, which I is kind of a, she has like kind of a weird emotional attachment to this in some way, or it seems like it. Yeah, that was. I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to do with it. I mean, I guess you could maybe, like, read in, like, violence getting passed down to, you know, but I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just, like, because sometimes you just, like, have something in your house that, like, you, like, oh, it's from something I remember and I feel weird throwing it away. Uh-huh. You know? So. I frequently do that with the knives that my boyfriend stabbed somebody with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they escape and it's you know implied that they're basically gonna have to live on the run because they're fugitives now and then we get into these requiems as the subtitles of the movie call them which at first i was like are these like deleted or extended scenes or something and they really i mean they are extended scenes they're all drawn out versions of scenes that have already happened in the movie but they add some really important context particularly the third and final one so the first two are kind of drawn out versions of some basketball scenes and the kids, you know, having fun together before they're thrown into the horrible, violent world of Battle Royale by the adults. And then we get further Nobu explaining to Shuya or asking Shuya to take care of Noriko for him in this kind of like dream sequence that we know is not real because the basketball is bouncing higher as it bounces away from the camera and towards uh, Nobu. 
yeah. which is a cool kind shot. of a cool little cool little trick there to like let you mm-hmm. know it's a dream right because it takes you a second to realize what's going on with the basketball right yeah it's a it's a neat shot mm. uh but then the last one is a scene of kitano and noriko that we have seen earlier which is the two of them i think they're like eating ice cream in a park near some kind of pond Again, like a river and, or something, like a low yeah. flowing river where you can walk on the rocks, sort of. So, some sort of like urban water feature. Stream, yeah. And in the first version of the scene that we get earlier in the movie, this is around like the umbrella sequence. Uh, there's no, there's no dialogue. There's just music and some like ambient noise. Here we get the dialogue, and it's drawn out a little more. And I had to get Will to kind of like walk me through this a little bit because I don't know. And again first viewing in the movie being so not what I expected, I was a little like thrown by this. So do you want to kind of uh, walk us through this a little bit? (laughs) Sure. Um, So first of all, it is explicitly labeled as like a shared dream between the two of them, uh, which is kind of weird. It's like the most like supernatural feeling thing in the movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But it also, I feel like the scene sort of gets at the heart of what, the like writer and director were going for so they are like having a conversation on the rocks and it's like really becomes clear how like messed up kitano's relationship with noriko is because like noriko is like very innocent very like naive about the whole thing and it becomes very clear that like you know like kitano has like romantic feelings for her or generally he's a very sad lonely man and like the movie ends on kitano uh saying to noriko uh in this moment what should an adult say to a kid Mm -hmm. and like i think that's like a really good final line for a whole movie that's like criticizing like how older generations treat younger generations Right. It's like this. And that line is coming from a man who has like. Feels like his like life has kind of been ruined, like he feels victimized by uh, like young people. Right. Mm -hmm. And like he's kind of a loner, like his family doesn't love him. Uh, And he throughout the whole movie is taking out that like rage and 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 anxiety on like mostly innocent kids and like and like Nobu, the kid who stabbed him. But he also and they make this it's unclear if he says this to Nobu before or after he gets stabbed. But at some point he's told Nobu to like drop out of school. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's like, you're not taking this seriously. Drop out. uh, And like. And then he did, you know, something about, like, Kitano was, like, trying to, like, goad Nobu into working harder, but it ended up backfiring. He pushed too hard, and Nobu, like, dropped out of school. Mm-hmm. Right? Which, like, a teacher should never say to a child, drop out of school. <laughs> right? Yeah. Not a good call. Um, like, so, like, Kitano, like, fails the kids constantly and to the point where he begins to murder them. And then it ends on him just, like not knowing what to say (laughs) like what do i what am i supposed to do (laughs) as an Mm -hmm. adult like how do i treat children you know how am i how do i reach these kids (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's such a interesting message that i feel like they're trying to send us here right of and i there's i feel like there's a lot of different ways you can read this but one of them to me seems to be like the way that we treat others and especially younger generations, no matter what we may think of their perceived shortcomings is something learned, right? So if at Mm -hmm. some point the generation before us failed to treat us appropriately and has created this, you know, horrible, violent scenario, that those of that generation that make it to adulthood and have the chance to interact with the next generation and try to lead them forward, they're, they're going to fail too, right? They never learned how to do it the right way. Yeah. Maybe there's not an instinctual thing. Maybe some people have 
the proper instinct, but certainly not enough. So where does that kind of cycle end, right? Because all this battle royale did is create two fugitive children. They're going to have to live a life of loneliness and in all likelihood violence forever. And from what I understand, I haven't seen Battle Royale 2, but I like read the like kind of like summary or whatever, like on IMDb. And mm-hmm. it seems like it is a sort of a cycle of violence story, right? Like apparently Shuya form like joins a like violent rebel group that is seeking to overthrow the government of Japan and like the government of japan like recruits they do like an alteration on the battle royale law where like they send in the children of like government officials who have been killed by this terrorist cell to go like avenge their parents and kill the members of the terrorist cell. <laughs> like it's really weird and dark sounding you know i don't know how the movie is really presented yeah that sounds dark yeah but the story is like more of a it's like you have people who have been wronged trying to like you know like starting this like war against the people who've wronged them and then they end up killing people and then like those people's loved ones come back to fight them and you know it just kind of goes forever right the more I learn about the Battle Royale franchise, the harder it becomes to believe that Suzanne Collins did not see this before writing The Hunger Games. Because <laughs> yeah. that's essentially the plot of the entire series. Pretty much. And, like, I think this, I think Battle Royale, at least the first movie, does it better, in my opinion. I think this is better than The Hunger Games. Certainly better than The Hunger Games movie not that the hunger games the first movie was like bad by mm. any stretch but and uh, i don't think the books were bad like yeah i enjoyed the books uh i think the movies were built to be very blockbustery and mm-hmm. you know what 2012 america they were never gonna be able to do the kinds of things that battle royale did but yeah i i think the relationship that this movie has with violence and the cycle of violence and the way that it's like a it's a learned behavior and it's the behavior that older generations are repeatedly teaching the younger generations through war and battle royales is very well carried by this movie i think they did a really good job and it was again not what i expected at all i thought it was just going to be like a campy corny action movie yeah and and i think the what makes it more like impressive than the hunger games to me is like the situation they're in or like the kind of like political climate or like the world that they're in is so much more interesting and believable Mm -hmm. you know that like it's not as interesting like and i think it's like fine and it works well to have like oh like the whole world is divided up into these districts right like an authoritarian like government has you know divided everyone up and pit them against each other right to like maintain mm-hmm. control that's all fine and good but it's like a lot more interesting and it feels especially like poignant now when it's like this it feels so much closer to home in battle royale somehow and i think what at first felt like kind of campy silly violence like, I'm starting to realize that, like, real, like, the way, like, actual, like, violence or, like, authoritarianism or, like, even, like, fascism works in the world, it's often very, like, it feels unreal. Like, it's very silly, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, like, in your face, like, to the point where, like, you can't believe it's going on, right? Yeah, like, uh, if you had told me a year ago we would be in this position where people people won't put a freaking mask on yeah because or like people are getting like disappeared on the streets of like portland right right it's some like uh, it's, like blatantly it's just it's nonsensical spy movie thriller shit and it's just happening in the streets of america 
Yeah, like, I wasn't expecting Battle Royale to have this impact on me, but, uh, like, I'm sitting here afterwards, and I'm like, it could really happen. <laughs> like, watch out for the BR law coming up any minute. <laughs> like, we were one percent away. <laughs> we were so close. Oh, no. It's a little too real right now. <laughs> yeah. Although, okay, one, like, kind of minor thing that... It's like maybe another criticism of the movie is like the kids kind of seem surprised that like like they don't know what the BR law is, and it doesn't make sense for them to have this law going on if they're not advertising it because the whole point is to like instill fear in the public, right? Specifically, yeah. fear in children, and the- it's like a public televised public punishment, and not like it's not televised while it's going on, but like there's like news crews afterwards, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, the opening scene of the movie is, like, news crews addressing the winner of a previous year, right? Yeah. So it's not really believable when they're all like, what? What's Battle Royale? <laughs> yeah, it feels very like we're now going to explain to the audience what's going mm-hmm. on. And for as much as we talked earlier about how that scene is really good, that's definitely the weak point of it. Is It's very, like, talking to the camera. Yeah, and I could but... have been misreading it a little bit and, like, thinking that they don't know what's happening or, or, and instead like they're trying to just depict them being in shock like i can't believe it happened to me mm-hmm. you know so that's that's certainly possible that is always going to be the hard part about uh foreign film it's just sometimes something is going to be lost in translation mm-hmm. and there's like other little things that i don't know if it's it, like it could be just like what sounds corny to an american doesn't sound corny to like a Japanese person and like vice versa right Mm -hmm. where like to me like the music was kind of weird to me like it was kind of overly like orchestral and sincere feeling you know like it yeah kind of felt too like adventure action movie at times um and yeah I don't know but like any problems that have the movie are just like kind of like minor stuff like that you know and that i mean even that the movie's kind of pitching itself as a action adventure movie right mm-hmm. it just happens to have something effective to say yeah <laughs> that's true well i think we've pretty much covered everything that we wanted to talk about at this point yeah i think so I, we didn't go over like all the plot in order that much but like honestly a lot of this movie is just like kind of like little vignettes of violence with like some characterization thrown in and like Mm -hmm. you know getting their message across right um definitely i think if you haven't seen it it's pretty easy to get a picture of what happens which is all of the children slowly die until there are only two left and they escape together right Mm -hmm. and if you have seen it then you don't need the recap anyways so (laughs) well on that note i guess we will quickly finish up with our reviews here at Jump Cuts, we don't like to give numerical reviews. We feel it's more helpful to just say whether or not we would recommend a movie and who we would recommend it to. So, Will, would you recommend Battle Royale? Um, I would recommend Battle Royale to anyone who can stomach the particular like breed of violence that's going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, like, obviously, it's like there's like 15 year olds getting like murdered in like pretty horrible ways. Like, the violence isn't usually like there's much like more disgusting films out there but like mm-hmm. it's still a lot of the violence is very impactful feeling just because of like the subject matter and like the con- like the context around it um so if you assu- assuming you have like a strong stomach for that kind of stuff absolutely watch it i think it's a really great movie i agree excellent movie I had way more to say than i thought it would and even if it hadn't it had just been a ridiculous campy action movie it would have been a good one. If you're squeamish, though, probably not for you. I mean, there are some particularly graphic scenes, even if they're not played up in like a disgusting way. They are they are definitely graphic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think not, that, I think that's a good point that like even if you took out all the like social commentary or like genuinely good character building going on, like it would still be like an entertaining, like sort of like trashy like violent movie you know like exactly it would still be fun uh 
if anything, like the, all the extra stuff makes it like less fun and more like interesting, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like definitely. And I think that that's what's so interesting and cool about this movie, right? Is that it weirdly almost 20 years later has kind of developed the cultural relevance that I think it deserves. Mm-hmm. Even if <laughs> there's like a kind of weird irony to that relevance, because again, the relevance is that it is the name of a subgenre of violent video games. Although I guess Fall Guys isn't violent and you could kind of classify that as Battle Royale, but I do love how like based on the history of everything, like with like the director and stuff, like seeing like so like World War Two had to happen for us to have Fall Guys. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> like which means World War One had to happen, which means, you know, like Yeah. The butterfly effect is a magical thing. The assassination of Archduke Ferdinand <laughs> led directly led to Fall Guys existing today. Adolf Hitler is responsible for Donald Faison suing Epic Games for stealing his dance for Fortnite. Yes. <laughs> Here we are. <laughs> You'll love to see it. Yeah. Well, I think we can wrap it up on that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to leave a like, a review, a rating, whatever you do on your chosen podcast app. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Jump Cuts Pod, where Will makes goofy little videos and cuts animes into Oscar-winning movies for your entertainment. You can also follow us on Instagram at Jump Cuts Pod. Will, where can the people find you? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Will Posts Words, and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel will johnston on youtube where you can find more movie content by me and you can find me on instagram at charlieb.writes where i will tell you about my feelings whether you want me to or not anything else i am working on i will tell you about there because i have to do side project ideas every 20 minutes so thank you again for listening we will have new episodes every thursday be sure to tune in and we will see you next time bye bye I said bye-bye. What's wrong with me? Oh my god, I have to hit stop. Bye-bye. I refuse to cut it. We're leaving in (laughs) bye-bye.